Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. Go ahead and get your Bibles out and turn to Psalm 139, the passage we're going to look at early in the message. There'll be some scriptures that will appear up on the wall. There'll be others that will just appear in your outline that I will not take the time to read. I might reference as we cover an extremely important subject at an extremely important time. Dwayne has just reminded us that Jesus is king. He is absolute king and Lord. And I firmly believe that Jesus, the king, smiled very big this past Friday afternoon. But the reality is a lot of others did not smile. So we uh, changed course, I actually decided earlier in the week, I I knew this issue was (laughs) coming soon, but um, I want us to look at what God says about this issue, because that's ultimately what matters. But in the process, I'm also going to be sharing some uh, uncomfortable things to hear, but um, that I believe are necessary. God, the preborn, and you. To start a little bit on the lighter side, there's a uh, group called the Michigan Lawsuit Abuse Watch that I have referenced a few times before through the years. Uh, and they monitor different <laughs> crazy warning labels that are on products. And each year they even have a wacky warning label contest. Uh, here are some of the uh, winners from some various years. Uh, a popular scooter for children had this warning on it. This product's, product moves when used. Yeah, I assume that's so. <laughs> this warning was discovered on a thermometer used to take a person's temperature. And this, I think, was back a few years. It says, once used rectally, the thermometer should not be used orally. I think I could have figured that one out myself. On a five-inch fishing lure with three steel hooks. Now picture this. Five-inch fishing lure with three steel hooks. It cautions harmful if swallowed. But don't tell the fish. They they need to get it. A warning label found on a 12-inch high storage rack for CDs. You don't see these as much anymore, but CDs or, or DVDs. You know, those little storage racks. It says, do not use as a ladder. The label on one snow sled is very adamant. It says, beware, sled may develop high speed under certain snow conditions. I thought that was the point, you know. And finally, the grand prize winner one year, warning label found on a bottle of drain cleaner. 
says, if you do not understand or cannot read all directions, cautions, and warnings, do not use this product. If you cannot read this, okay. Labels. Let's talk about labels. Let's talk about how we're going to label that which is growing inside a pregnant woman. And yes, I use the words pregnant woman and not any of the other popular options today. To determine what that is, I have a novel idea. Let's go back to God's inspired instruction book, which has lots of sensible, healthy warnings too. You see, our personal position on pregnancy and abortion should not be determined by a public opinion poll or a Supreme Court ruling or a political party or even a church creed. Our personal position on something like abortion and everything else for that matter should be determined by an understanding of the heart of God as revealed in the Bible. That should be the deciding point for any of us. So what does the Bible teach about preborn life? There are five main points on your outline. Number one is this. God honors human life. And on this, the Bible is abundantly clear. Now we have some subpoints under that idea that God honors human life. First of all, life is from God. That is one of the main themes, one of the main points of Genesis chapter 1. But then there are a number of other passages like this one in Isaiah 44, verse 24, which says, This is what the Lord says, Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I didn't lose my place, just let me make sure you catch that. <laughs> Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. Then we saw this verse quickly last week in the Job 31 message. We were talking about being a righteous person. And Job asked this question to his friends. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? <laughs> Did not the same one form us both within our mother's? Job just saying, okay, you guys are ripping on me unjustly, by the way. But you know what? We're equal in God's sight. He made me in my mother's womb. He made you in your mother's womb. We are equal. Then in Psalm 139, the passage I ask you to turn to is this very well-known verse that needs to be a lot more well-known. David is praying to God, and notice what he says about Creator God in these verses. He says, for you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, before one of them came to be. God knew us in the womb. He formed us in the womb. He knew what would be, we would become after we left the womb if we were allowed to leave the womb. Life is from God. But also we know clearly in Scripture that humans are made in God's image. 
Got a couple, three passages. We're going to look at a couple of them. One of them is Genesis 1. I'm just going to read verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then over in chapter 5, when it begins to list those who had lived up to that point, it says, This is the, the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. Chapter 9 just simply reaffirms that uh, and the importance of being made in the image of God after the flood. In other words, God set us apart from the rest of life and creation as human beings. God gave us personhood. We're the only aspect of his creation that has that. Being made in his image means we were made as rational thinking beings like himself so that we can reason and discern and plan. We are given free will and we can have a conscious relationship with God, our creator. We as humans have inherent value totally apart from what we do or accomplish in this life simply because we're made in the image of God. And that is why racism is so wrong. That is why slavery is so wrong. That is why cruelty and abuse are so wrong. That is why pornography is wrong. And that is why abortion is wrong. We are made in the image of creator God. And that means point C, and I'm simply going to state this one and go on. Human life is sacred. That's the point of Genesis 9 after the flood. That's the point of the little story in Exodus 21 about a pregnant woman being hit in the stomach and something happens to the baby. Human life is sacred. But then point D, God loves children. Psalm 127 says children are a heritage from God. Much of the Bible talks about the importance of proper parenting because children matter so much. Jesus in Matthew 18, 1 through 10, talked about the great worth of a child and us being held responsible for how we treat or mistreat children. God honors human life. But secondly, God describes the preborn as persons. This is extremely clear in Scripture, and I want you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to put a couple others up on the wall before that, but in Luke 1, we're going to look at a fascinating account where God says that what is in the womb is a person. But first, Genesis 25 tells the account of Rebekah and Isaac who had been unable to have children. They prayed to the Lord. That's what this passage talks about. What I want you to notice in this passage in Genesis 25 is what God in Scripture calls what's in the womb of that mother. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies, the babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys, boys in her womb. God says clearly, babies and boys in the womb. Another passage that's significant is Jeremiah the prophet. In chapter 1, he reflects back on his call to be a prophet before he was born. He says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
before he was ever born. And then there's Luke 1, the fascinating account of pregnant Mary, the mother of Jesus, going to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant six months ahead of her. Fascinating account. Once again, listen to what God calls what's in both their wombs. At that time, I'm in verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. When she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But what, why am I so highly favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy." The first person in history to recognize the voice of Jesus was an unborn child. The first person in history to recognize the voice of Jesus was an unborn child. John the Baptist and Jesus, separate and distinct from their mother, dependent on her, but different, separate completely from her. In other words, a child in the womb. That's really rather obvious if you think about it. I know I've told this story several times through the years about an incident 30 years ago when we used to have the preacher exchanges on Sunday nights. I was preaching up at the May Hill Church. And in the back of the auditorium when I went in that night was an abortion display by a junior high girl from the congregation. It provided statistics from a survey taken at her public school as well as displaying pictures of aborted babies who had been removed from the haven of their mother's womb at various stages of development. Many of the babies in these pictures were nearly whole, while others were only a heap of body parts after the DNC or suction abortions had ripped their little bodies apart. Now, at that time, when I went there, when Ann and I were there with our then two-year-old daughter, Leah, one of the most striking things that evening was that when little two-year-old Leah, two years old, walked past that display, she looked up and saw those pictures of the aborted children, and she said, kids, and just walked on. Now, my curious and observant little daughter had simply stated what she saw, kids. She observed well-formed little heads, arms, legs, eyes, fingers, toes, and other body parts that looked just like those on her own little body. So she said, kids. <laughs> you see, children recognize children even if they have been violently removed without a choice from what was meant by God to be the safest place on earth. Leah saw children in the pictures. So here's my question. How could my two-year-old daughter so easily understand that while much of Hollywood and Washington, D.C. pretends to not know the difference? A two-year-old can see the difference. You see, it's really not that complicated. The fact is, as former Congressman Henry Hyde once explained, birth is a change of address. The same child... Same person, same value, but a different stage of development in the process. So basically, in abortion, children are being discriminated against on the basis of their age and the place of their residence. 
discrimination, medical science continues to affirm that more and more and more and more clearly all the time. And increasingly, thankfully, young Americans are becoming more pro-life because they are following the science and using common sense. They look at a sonogram and say, that's a baby. To them, the pro-abortion word games of the decades like uterine contents and product of conception and blob of tissue make absolutely no sense when you can look and see, like any two-year-old, that is a child. And if it's not really a baby, then why is Planned Parenthood often so careful when they extract the unborn children so that they can then sell those same body parts and organs to the highest bidder as they've been caught on camera doing? In that way, Planned Parenthood is actually acknowledging God's description of the preborn as persons. Here's the third point. Believe it or not, this is probably the most uncomfortable. I want you to notice this contrast. God elevates truth, light, and, lo- lo- and truth, light, and life. Satan, on the other hand, promotes deception, darkness, and death. Now, those last three words vividly describe Satan's work throughout the Bible. You know, anywhere Satan comes up in the Bible, it's deception, darkness, and death. But those last three words also vividly describe the abortion industry. Deception, darkness, and death. And that is the clear testimony of many nurses and doctors and clinic workers who have left the abortion industry and say that's what it was. But the deception aspect is quickly disappearing, in a sense, as pro-abortion groups make clear their motives. Last year, the group Students for Life, which is a large uh, uh, faith-based organization of pro-life college students across the country, uh, they were at a rally, and they were stressing this point that that's a, an unborn child is a child, and some pro-abortion protesters were counteracting them and said, yeah, we know it's a baby, so what? See, they're dropping the deception game. Just in the last six weeks, Student for Life uh, had another rally, pro-abortionists showed up, and one of the pro-abortionists said to them, the student for life, life uh, people, if I want to kill my baby, I will effing kill it. Since the May 2nd Supreme Court leak, which was unjust and unethical and un-American, <laughs> The pro-abortion activists have willingly, openly proclaimed their goals and real motives. They have promised a, quote, summer of rage, and this was before Friday. They published the home addresses of five conservative Supreme Court justices and began protests in their neighborhoods, which, by the way, is against federal law, 18 U.S.C. 1507. It is against federal law to protest outside the homes of Supreme Court justices or judges or people who are in a position to make decisions to try to influence their decisions. It's a federal crime. What they did was they published these five addresses and then they said on Monday night we're going to this this justice, Monday after Monday after Monday, on Tuesday nights we'll go to this justice house, Wednesday night we'll go here. 
Now let's go back a couple years. In March of 2020, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer stood on the steps of the Supreme Court and referring to upcoming abortion rulings said, and I quote, I, and I've seen this video several times, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit if you go forward with these awful decisions, end of quote. So it's no surprise then that I believe it was on June 8th at 12.50 a.m., a man named Nicholas Rosky, age 26, had flown from California to Maryland and with a Glock 17 knife and bulletproof vest and equipped with a suitcase full of zip ties, duct tape, trash bags, crowbar, screwdriver, hammer, and pepper spray showed up at the home of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. When he was arrested, he confessed that he was going there, he was going to break into the house, and he was going to assassinate Justice Kavanaugh. And that has barely made a mention in the mainstream media of this country. The first time in my life a sitting Supreme Court justice has been attempted to be assassinated. And not only did radical, radicals protest outside the home of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, they frightened neighborhood parents and children the first night they showed up, and the radical group Ruth sent us tweeted details of Justice Barrett's daily routine and, catch this, where her children go to school. Let that soak in. They tweeted out where her children go to school. That is evil, anti-American darkness. And further, the group Jane's Revenge has threatened pro-life pregnancy centers, and I quote, it's open season and we know where your operations are. The Daily Signal reports that at, since the, the leak in, on May 2nd, at least 41 separate incidents of violent attacks against churches, pro-life organizations, and pro-life property across the country since that leak. These attacks include arson, vandalism, property theft, and property destruction. These incidents, however, do not include at least nine other instances of physical violence against pro-life advocates, threats of violence against churches, and illegal disruptions of church services that have unfolded during that same time period. I bet you didn't hear about the Mother's Day attack at St. Patrick's Cathedral, where when, in New York City, when worshipers showed up that morning, this was the first Sunday after the leak. When worshipers showed up that morning, they were greeted by half-naked women screaming obscenities and interrupting the mass. Another half-clad woman tried to breach the church doors. When she could not, she pulled baby dolls from her crotch, making a show of strangling the dolls and then before, uh, with ropes before bashing their heads on the pavement and laughing. She screamed, look, I'm killing the babies. Now, I am sorry I have to be so graphic, but if we are going to stand for biblical truth and light and life, we have to know what we are up against, and this is what we are up against. You don't need to be a rocket scientist or a prophet, Michael Brown wrote, to know that in the aftermath of Roe versus Wade, it's going to get very ugly on the streets of America. He wrote that a few days ago, like Thursday, I think it was. He also tweeted this. He said, the overturning of Roe v. Wade is revealing the real spirit behind abortion. It is murderous, violent, angry, and full of venom and hate. The attacks on churches and pro-life clinics are par for the course. Abortion has become a pseudo-religious right it was never a moral right, end of quote. Now, I have many more examples from several different sources that I could cite. 
But let me say this. This is not merely a clash of, di of, different, of two different opinions. It is a clash of world views. Truth, light, and life versus deception, darkness, and death. And sitting on the fence is not an option. It is time to make clear where each and every one of us is going to stand on this issue. Because if you don't take a stand, you're going to be forced to in the days ahead. Because it's about to get ugly. That brings me to the third point. God warns about cheapening life. You know, societies have always suffered when life is cheapened. I want you to go back to 2 Kings 17 as we read the very, about this very sad demise of the nation of Israel. Israel in this chapter is carried off into exile because of their sin. It begins to unfold it in verse 7. It says, all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God. And then it begins to get more specific. Then down to verse 13 it says, The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants the prophets. But he basically says, you didn't listen. I tried to warn you. And then we come to verse 16 through 18 and it gets very specific about why they were destroyed as a nation says this, they forsook all the commands of the Lord their God, made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshiped Baal. Notice verse 17. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sorcery and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. It was a downward spiral in their society. Here's how the spiral went. They had a wrong attitude toward God, which led them to forsake his commands. After they began to forsake his commands, they worshiped idols. After they worshiped idols, they began killing innocent children. Now there is a fascinating later description of this demise, and it's on the front of your bulletin this morning in Psalm 106, verse 36 through 39. And there's a chilling phrase in here that I read over for years and never noticed. It says this, they worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Do not miss that point. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the, and the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. They sacrificed their children to demons. Folks, Satan has always had a demonic thirst for innocent blood. But he has just carried that out in different ways in different countries through the ages. Satan has always had a demonic thirst for innocent blood. So it is no surprise that former nurses and other clinic workers who have left the abortion industry have told and written about the demonic darkness and oppression they felt inside the abortion clinics where they used to work. And it is no surprise that Satan worshipers and witches and warlocks have been among the protesters the past six weeks outside the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C. 
I want to read you a, a report from Matt Staver of Liberty Council, who's also the head of Faith in Action. Faith in Action is a ministry I've had a close association with for 23 years, I think now, all through our Ten Commandments battle, they were so faithful in supporting and helping us. They have a building across the street from the Supreme Court building, on 2nd Street on the backside, so they're over there practically daily, the staff. They've been watching what's been happening around the Supreme Court building the last six weeks. Here's an account. A small podium and two loudspeakers have been set up to allow the prayer vigil attendees to speak and play worship songs. These were pro-life groups that were outside the Supreme Court. But as prayer began, our staff and the intercessors were surrounded by darkness. Black-robed men and women began arriving on the scene, screaming obscenities over the prayers. Screams of, F your God and your religion, began to fill the air. As the prayer team's worship uh, music continued, a pro-abortion demonstrator brought a wagon carrying a large boombox blaring satanic music and noise. The, its volume increased to drown out the no songs of praise. Nonetheless, the intercessors continued to pray. Peggy, one of our staff members who was in attendance, says, quote, the longer we prayed, the more anxious and agitated the Satanists became, end of quote. And then he continues on, the evil surrounding the intercessors did not want the word of God proclaimed. Women dressed like prostitutes began to arrive, leaving little of their exposed bodies to the imagination. They gleefully joined the melee the witches and warlocks had begun. A woman walked right up to our podium and stood next to the pro-life speaker. Every time the pro-lifer pro spoke, the woman would scream unprintable curses uh, into the, a megaphone pointed at the podium microphone. The pro-abortion crowd began cursing the justices, the people praying, and yes, vehemently cursing God himself. And on down he said this, Satan worshipers have covered sidewalks with black magic rituals, ritual circles and candles, performing their dark incantations near midnight most evenings. Half-burnt candles and other garbage of active witchcraft lay scattered on the public spaces around the court. Meanwhile, one man who had the attire and appearance of a, a horror movie warlock targeted senior ladies, senior citizen ladies who would come there to pray, Senior ladies quietly praying for the lives of the unborn. The warlock would crowd one woman at a time, making the sign of Satan over the women's heads. As he made the sign, guttural growls and a language our staff could not understand issued from his throat as he spat his demonic curses over the women. One by one, he tried to corner them and curse them. What did Psalm 106 say about it? what happened in Israel? They worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Folks, we are in a spiritual worldview war, and we cannot just tune out the news and pretend it's not happening. Christians can't do that. We have seen so many societal consequences since abortion on demand was given a green light in 1973. Child abuse has absolutely skyrocketed since 1973. Infanticide and euthanasia have become tragic, brutal realities in many places and will increase now. The, the idea in California and some other places of not only abortion right up to the moment of birth, but actually laying the baby on a table after birth if it survives an abortion attempt and, it, and then letting it die on the table if the parents so choose. Countless women have suffered post-abortion emotional and psychological issues. And the wonderful pregnancy resource centers are the ones on the front lines loving and helping those women 
And those centers are being demonized right now in the news and attacked by pro-abortion people. Did you realize that blacks have been disproportionately harmed by abortion? Which was actually one of the goals of Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. Some of us have been saying this for decades, and it was finally last year, Planned Parenthood had to come out and publicly acknowledge the extreme racism of their founder, Margaret Sanger. Dr. Alveda C. King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., said on Friday, celebrating the ruling that was handed down, she labeled abortion as a hate crime, and then she argued, nothing has wreaked havoc on the black community and destroyed black lives more than the abortion industry. You see, so many consequences, not to mention the 63 million children who never had a chance to live or choose anything. Deception, darkness, and death. You see, once we cheapen life, everything else in society begins to unravel. We should have more time for the next point, but America's founders had a fundamental understanding that life is from God, which explains the early, early America's protection of human life. Let me just share this familiar quote from the Declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, and they capitalize the sea, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. They proclaimed in the Declaration that the purpose of government was to protect those rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And liberty and pursuit of happiness are irrelevant if you're not granted life. Later, the 14th Amendment of the Constitution reaffirmed that support of life. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, was one of the verses uh, that records the account toward the end of Moses' life where he's preparing Israel for the days ahead. And he says, you need to decide who you're going to follow. And Moses said this, he goes, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, <laughs> blessings and curses. Now choose life, and notice this phrase, that you and your children, your children may live. Society always unravels when life is cheapened. Here's the last point. It's very important for all of us. God calls us to live our convictions. Won't take time to read it, but you look later at Leviticus chapter 20, the first five verses. That passage condemns those who were sacrificing their children to false, the false god uh, Moloch, but it also, more importantly, condemned the community around them for not stopping it happening. What God blasts in Leviticus 20 is not only that people were sacrificing their children, but that the community wasn't stopping them from doing it. Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12 says, rescue those being led away to death and hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? He's saying, don't just say you didn't know what was going on. First of all, you should have known what was going on. <laughs> but don't say you didn't know what was going on. You need to rescue those being destroyed. And that goes way beyond the unborn. See, we are called to honor and protect all human life, including the preborn. 
We must call churches to do that, and we must call government to do that. I'm tired of hearing politicians and even some church people say, well, I am personally opposed to abortion, but I can't take away that right for someone else. That is an absolute cop-out. I'm sure there were plenty of people and politicians in the 1800s who said, I'm personally opposed to slavery, but I believe, the slave owners, I believe in the slave owner's right to choose. I don't want to force my religion and morality on somebody else. I didn't cut it then, and it won't cut it now. Listen, friends, this Christianity thing is complete and total. It's to shape our entire life. It's to shape how we live here and how we live at home. It's how, how, to shape how we live here and how we live at work. Here and how we act in traffic. Here and how we act at our kids' ball games. Here and in the restaurant. Here and in the bedroom and on a date and in the voting booth. Our Christian conviction should affect every, every aspect of our life. Or it's not a faith. Now, all of us, all of us fail at times. We all fall short. All of us sin. But we are still to strive for godliness and righteousness and holiness. And we're still to strive to make a difference in our world. But here's the good news when we fail. When we fail, that's where Jesus comes in. That's where grace comes in. And that's what Ephesians 1 is celebrating in verse 7. It says in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I'm glad that grace applies to everyone who will accept it. See, God can cleanse us from all our sin, even if we've been inconsistent even if we've committed sexual sin, even if we have committed the sin of gossip, even if we have lived as a bitter, unforgiving person, even if we've had an abortion. Many doctors and nurses have left the abortion industry. Many women have dealt successfully with post-abortion guilt and re related health issues by the power of God. And so can you. So can you. So how do we handle this issue in the church? We've got to decide. <laughs> we can't run from it anymore. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get direct. How do we handle this in the church? I'll go back to the two simple suggestions my friend the late Ward Patterson wrote several years ago. He said the challenge for the church is twofold. Number one, and both these are equally important. Number one, the church today must speak with clarity about the sacredness of life and oppose beliefs, practices, and policies that ignore its sacredness. But he said, secondly, the church must likewise speak words of repentance, forgiveness, healing, and renewal to those who have violated life's sacredness. We have to do both, love and truth. <laughs> So let's call ourselves and others to the life-changing power of the gospel. Let's live a life that is true and consistent. And let's pray the prayer that's at the bottom of your page on your outline this morning. God, help me live in a way that honors you and life.
And I know this is a different kind of message. This is an uncomfortable message, both to hear and to preach. But there are times in life, there are times in history, where everything's just kind of brought to the, the fore, and it's like you can't escape making a decision. <laughs> We're in one of those times right now. And, and, and this abortion issue is just one of many cultural issues that are part of this worldview battle that's going on in our, in our culture. And we better figure out where we're going to stand, who we're going to follow, who we're going to believe, who we're going to serve. Because being on the fence doesn't work. It's the one thing that irritates Jesus the most, according to Revelation 3. So we need to make a choice. What are we going to do with God? What are we going to do with life? What are we going to do with, about living uh, for God in this culture? Do you really trust God? Do you trust what he says? Do you trust what, what, he, what he's done through his son Jesus? See, through the blood of Jesus, through us accepting him as our Lord and Savior, we can be forgiven of whatever sin it is. So let's think about our life. Let's think about the courage we need to have to do what we need to do today and this week and in the days ahead. Who are you going to follow? Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.